I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Chocolate. It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure, it doesn't. So fuck off. My boss says he can eat 50 eggs. He can eat 50 eggs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You're certifiable, Quint. You know that? You're certifiable. Hello, Dimitri. Listen, I, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, that's much better. Coming up in the 36 Spool podcast, we get in the mood for Halloween by talking about some of our favourite horror films, but first we kick off with the true legend of the genre, Mr. Wes Craven, who sadly passed away six weeks ago. He's best known for creating the Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street series, but we thought we'd go back to where it all started for him. Here's a clip from his debut feature, 1972's The Last House on the Left. Marie and her friend. I feel like a woman for the first time in my life. Two girls from the suburbs going to the city to have a good time. Oh, uh, this is my roommate, Sam. Hi, girls. This is my sister, uh, Martha. Uh, Martha, these girls uh, you know, want to buy some grass. Four killers on the loose, also looking for a good time. And the road. house on the left uh, so that was some audio from the trailer from uh, the film uh, first of all I think it's very important to put a bit of context on it this was made 44 years ago released 43 years ago so America was doing what Vietnam War absolutely Vietnam so um, this came at a time when uh, Wes Craven would, felt that America was being inundated with all this violence every day newsreels every day of seeing uh, you know shock and horror and just people becoming slightly immune to it so he made his own taking it with uh, his debut film so uh, Last House on the Left tells the story of two teenage girls Mary and Phyllis who are heading up my mother is called Phyllis as well just for anyone who doesn't know um, who, uh, and she has a friend called Mary that's funny who are heading off to the city for a rock concert and afterwards figured that they'll make a night of it and go and score some drugs which is what you did in the early 70s it was nice and casual easy access to drugs is it New York they're in I presume so. Felt like New York. Wes Craven was from New York. There was York, a funny scene when they're kind of, there's a bit at the start when they're walking through the woods to get to the gig. Mm-hmm. And he was obviously maybe trying to create the fact that, oh, we're deep in the woods and you can see cars going by in the background. I was like, ah, they but just, that becomes more important later yeah. on, I suppose. Um, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the two girls end up with the wrong kind of drug dealers and get abused, raped and assaulted by a gang of escaped convicts. So they're taken into the woods and murdered, but by complete fluke, this all happens near Mary's house. So um, the three assailants, I guess, or four assailants, they they pretend that they've broken down and they go and knock on the door and pose as salesmen. And then it's when they're in there in a wonderful, like, oh, guess whose house we're in. Um, and then they're taken in by Mary's lovely mother and father who are incredibly stressed out because their daughter hasn't come home, but also they're it's very like, welcoming to strangers. Yeah, they can instantly turn their house into a bed and breakfast. Yeah. At, at the tip of a hat. And then it doesn't take long for the parents to work out who the hell these people are and then for them to both protect themselves but 
but also exact revenge and that's none of which really makes sense like I couldn't I wasn't like how do the parents suddenly oh, put two and two together I think it was the little piece yeah they see that together and then they go down to the riverside and pull her out but was that like a dream because the two girls are killed which I was kind of surprised by. I thought one of them would escape and would be a thing. It's just the early 70s before the textbook was kind of written for how a rape revenge story like this is made, that you don't let the person who was raped die. You, yeah, know, you would usually yeah. let one of them live or a victim live um, in order to then get revenge. But yeah. ultimately it's left to the parents. So, so the parents then, when they realise the gang who have come to their house have killed their daughter, they go down to the river where she's been shot and find her. Like that's all that scene to me was very strange and I was just like is this a dream this kind of doesn't make sense yeah um, so in my reading about this it's based roughly on an old Swedish uh, proverb which was made into an Ingmar or Ingmar Bergman made the 1950 film The Virgin Spring with Max von Sydow in it and um, it won the best foreign language film I haven't seen it have you seen it no so it's from looking through the plot description of it it follows a very similar thing of a wrong done to someone and then the father taking it into his own hands and leading the kind of revenge path so um, I think it's loosely based on that but even at that the script the way it's put together is quite uh, yeah because running at the same time to this is the parents when they realise their daughter hasn't come back from the rock concert call the police and we have two kind of like absolute hick hillbillies who are like a comic relief like the way in um Insidious you have the like Ghostbuster guys who are kind of funny and clowny and they let you laugh to get in the horror but in this it's totally played wrong you're just like I'm really just like disturbed and disgusted by the film and then there's this horrible wacky comedy thing that is making it even worse somehow yeah where so they try to there's a scene where they try to get um they try to get their car breaks down and so they try to get a lift and there's this this uh, quintessential old black American woman with her pickup truck full of chickens and she won't let them in because of the weight of the chickens and it's really it's I just, kind of smiled at it but it didn't it's so different one of the, the deputies of the I, when he appeared I was like oh there's a man he's the only person I recognise in the film and I don't know who he is he told me before that you'd he's the deputy guy he's yeah. Martin Cove Martin Cove. He what is do I know him from? the sensei from the Karate Kid, the bad oh. sensei guy. <laughs> I was like, oh, brilliant. Very good. Yeah, because it's interesting. Um, while it launched the careers of Wes Craven and the producer Sean C. Cunningham, who went on to do Friday the 13th, um, it, none of the actors aside from him evidently ever actors went on to actors in heavily inverted commas actors very loosely using the term very loosely so the um, the two girls never made a film after the mid 70s because they were obviously so traumatised and then I thought the dad um, whose who's acting name at the time was looked- Gaylord L like Elron or something but um, I kind of thought he could have gone on somewhere he had amazing sideburns looks like a dad but yeah also I didn't know like the poster for this is very misleading because it shows a house that's almost like Damondville Horror and you don't see a house like that in the film so it's not yeah I found some of the original uh, stuff and uh, I'll show you one of them here I brought it to you today on this computer screen so um Where's it gone? Here it is. Yeah. So some of the original print me stuff was a bit more like that. And then uh, because I'm weird, I found um, someone who wrote about national identity based off um, the last house on the left. And they drew all these comparisons to uh, the photographs from 1970 at the Kent State University shootings. 
um, in Ohio, right? I think mm-hmm. that Neil Young wrote about. So there's all these Ford photographs um, taken by the photographer John Philo, which I'm showing to Pork now, and he's going, ooh, by the magic of audio. So um, apparently these photo shoot things, I'm not sure if I drew the, the same similarity, but uh, the, the guy said it, it's brilliant at sort of uh, drawing a comparison. Um, and even then, the fact that, you know, last house on the left in the early 70s, America was really split into black and white and like and rich and poor and anti-war and pro-Vietnam. And the oh, fact so that left a... is in the title, everyone okay. viewed as a little nod to this is an anti-authority kind of thing, like anti-Vietnam, anti-violence thing. But then the parents descend into like they it's... kill everyone in a really horribly butchered way. So there you go. Do they buy They buy into the violence? So um yeah, it, it got, I preferred reading about the film and and then actually watching it. The first half of the film is pretty much unwatchable, but you know, deliberately unwatchable. Like it's really difficult to watch. There's yeah. a scene here that I have a a chunk out of um, where one of the girls being abused is told um, "piss your pants." This whole bit of "piss your pants." So. Yeah. I really hated it, but um, it didn't really work for me at all. But here's a scene, and then the producer, Sean Cunningham, talks about it a little bit in this little clip that I robbed from the YouTubes. Piss your pants. Piss your pants. I said, piss your pants. You sick mother. <laughs> the scene where the girl... Um, is forced to urinate, is remarkable in, a, in that it's such a low-tech, quiet, personal scene that's so disturbing without any particular special effects. Um, and it's just that, that it, it, it gave her a reality and a credibility to what was about to happen, uh, something that, that made you afraid to continue watching, but afraid to take your eyes off the screen. There were no uh, uh, special effects in that scene. Uh, To be delicate, I will say that unlike the bag with the Cairo syrup and red dye number two, there was no bag with a urine-like substance. This was the real McCoy. So yeah, we always hate body functions in horror and I think even in uh, The Visit I finally got to see the M. Night Shyamalan film and I think the most gruesome bit in that is the adult uh, diapers as they call them with the the kid guy. at the end yeah that's incredibly messed up I was just like oh the, Jesus and the, anything else can happen I have I have a tolerance for anything and even like the sexual violence is uncomfortable but you can tolerate it and you understand it but then anything that brings in kind of toilet uh, mm-hmm. I was just so surprised that there were um, that they died they were killed the the two girls and there's a really horrible bit where you think one of them has got away and she gets stabbed and it's because of the fact that it's stabbed and I always find that I think most people do find it because we've all got cut or you can feel what that's like none of us most of us haven't got shot yeah or stuff like that so you can kind well, of feel I never, that I never told you about that shoot no oh. so there's loads of bit where then she just gets stabbed to death and she's pretty much cut open and there's a shot where you can see some of her guts being pulled out and I was like this is just it's horrible like the disemboweling bit yeah. yeah do you think it's it's all to set up that revenge bit at the end obviously but which is I think very you... quick and kind of all over the place and again has massive plot holes and you're just like no, it's yeah. really like the start is so juddery and blurry and loads of it just seems like out of focus mm. um, did he start in porn 
that's the the thing yeah Wes Craven has never really he used this uh, uh, pseudonym or pen not a pen name whatever the equivalent is um, for a director and uh, apparently he was shooting porn ne- he didn't shoot Deep Throat the infamous porn film but he was shooting in the in the porn studio next door to it and he contributes to that did we watch that together Inside Deep Throat the documentary oh, yeah. a couple of years ago so he's in that you kind of get that sensibility that he definitely was a first early films you know and the music is ridiculous in it yeah you've got this weird kind of funky bad 70s porn thing for some of it and then there's a a hillbilly kind of Dukes of Hazard song for yeah. the two cops as they're going about. Yeah, I think he's he was having having a laugh. Anyway, it mean it made three million or something back in the day. Made a lot of money. It sort of alluded to stuff more than it is. It's more successful in theory and in concept True. probably than the real film in that England it is. for forever. Like. Yeah, and then yeah, so it's one of the original kind of video nasty uh, things and um, got, got cut forever. And you know they wanted there's a good story. Um, we might embed it somewhere where uh, Mark Kermode, the famous critic, he loves this film. He defended this at one of these kind of, he, he gave an academic viewpoint on the film at one of the original film's uh, uh, appeal processes. And after his uh, thing, they went from wanting to cut out uh, 90 seconds to wanting to cut out three minutes or some sort of famous thing because he, he sold the violence so well. So, um, yeah, because there was a lot of talk. There's a remake of this that came out in 09, I think, okay. which I haven't seen. And I don't know. No, really, neither have I. Yeah. I could go back to it. Um, apparently, it's actually not too bad. Uh, Jesse from Breaking Bad is in it. Okay. And I thought there was an interesting trivia thing on IMDb. You always wonder if it's a bit of urban legend where they had, a, uh, <clears throat> they had this room. Um, because most of the prints would come back cut to ribbons by cinema owners okay. so Wes Craven and his editor had this room where they could stitch the reels back together and send on to other cinemas and I was like oh that's kind of cool um, it's a really like am I glad I've seen it not really I could have done without seeing it for completeness sake I agree with you I enjoyed reading about it more yeah. and the kind of the theory and what he was trying to say like apparently he is very much in the violence is trying to make a statement it's not just violence for violence sake and he kind of hates these ultra violent films that are just pornographic violence or something you know yeah and to an extent you don't see like the women are raped but it's not insanely graphic the, the way we would have in like uh, nymphomaniac or stuff like that of today but the way it's done and because it's so cheap and sleazy makes it feel like that horrible you know, and the bit then where the gang turn up to the house, I was kind of thinking, well, like, it's funny games. Funny games, absolutely, but I d- yeah. You know, I didn't think, feel as horrible watching funny games. I did to a degree, but maybe because it's more stylized or slick. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I did think of funny games in it and how it had a lot of similar kind of themes of the idea of the rich people in the house, the establishment, and then just being kind of cut down to shreds or something but um, anyway I when I give it three out of five I think if I'm and that's sort of in the big picture the generous stuff and maybe if we'd seen it at a drive through in the early 70s with the right sensibility yeah but um, where are you coming down with your mark? I don't know too maybe I could go to three but uh, like I wouldn't recommend anybody to watch it unless you're a fan of horror and you want it for completeness sake yeah um, I think the only kind of big standalone one I haven't seen now is I Spit in Your Grave isn't that another kind of seminal the, uh, yeah, I, I've seen it. <laughs> oh, okay, because we watched Dragon Killer horrible. together. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I went through a phase of just wanting. It was more the film history side of things that you want to watch these, and they're just not very well made, aren't they? Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on um, to your pick. 
Yeah, or so, Mike, I can't remember who picked. We yeah. did this over WhatsApp. I think you picked the Hills of Ice. I yeah, think. again, another like uh, Wes Craven film. It's from 1977. So last house in life was 72. Four. Yeah, he didn't do anything for no, five years. Yeah. I'd say he made a big ton of money on the porn. Probably yeah. The old, kept him the old going. Porn circuit. Um, yeah so again like Nigel was saying with Last House on the Left it was remade The Hills of Eyes was remade and we did go to see the remake of this me you and Colin went to see it Colin told me that he, he felt we'd seen it yeah I couldn't remember I was very disturbed by the remake of it uh, in comparison I suppose so the story with this is there's a family travelling in a big Winnebago kind of National Lampoon style thing with caravan hooked a- on the back again done for laughs in a lot of ways so. yeah <laughs> Uh, pull up at this abandoned kind of gas station not abandoned we have uh, an old coot who is Fred and uh, he's played by John Steadman and he they're like oh we're going through this canyon to get they're going to get to like a silver mine or something that they own I was like is this Klondike or something where they've got this old claim from the 50s so they're going to try and find this and he's like no you can't go through there because it's you know it's not safe just come back to the main road and go wherever you're going the dad is you know crazy like no I'm going to do this so off they go and the old coot guy says that oh it's a military testing base and there's a ridiculous thing where they're driving in the car where like it cuts to stock footage of like an F-14 going overhead that wasn't stock footage how dare you (laughs) goes to the car and they've shaked the camera a bit and stuff gets blown away so then they break for a rabbit the rabbit also makes an appearance at another point in the film and I was like I wonder is this trying to say something and uh, the car crashes and then they break the axle on the car they're stranded that's when stuff starts to kick off because they get separated a couple of the lads go and look for help because there's no way of getting out and then then we start to notice oh there's they mightn't be by themselves we can hear stuff going over walkie talkies and eventually then we realise there's a gang who are kind of out to kill them it's kind of it, the first thing that kind of came to my head was Judge Dredd and there's uh, anyone who reads the, the comic books I can't remember the name but there's like a group that live in the desert they're kind of cannibals kind of remind, reminded me of that it's just like this uh, gang of outlaws and they then begin to start to prey on the family and we'll just take a quick clip from it here where we unfortunately find out that the father has been caught by them <gasps> and he's about to be blown up oh god what is, help me go up ma Brenda? Brenda? Keep an eye on the baby, okay? So, screaming and shouting and explosions kind of gives you a flavour of it. Um, Very loud screams, as you were saying. Like, this is a badly mixed and yeah. recorded uh, film. As with the other one, it's like... Bah, it kind of from the start I was like oh it looks a bit nicer you know you had the nice bit where the gas station and the, the truck pulling up to it I was like he's learned a bit kind of coming along you're like yeah it's put together and stuff It to me it wasn't as shocking now I'd seen the remake so it, it wasn't as violent for me as the remake because with the remake you have lots of like you have to amp everything up and um, there's a scene in it where a baby is kidnapped and it's thought that it was going to be killed and then notes apparently Wes Craven had one point said we will kill the baby 
but the cast and crew are like no you can't do that and if you do that we're all going to walk off the film um, oh, did, really, that's again the one thing yeah <laughs> it was like me with toilet humour yeah. or toilet scenes in the first one with this I was like oh baby no yeah you know you're kind of like oh you've already killed a dog which was actually a real dog it was a real dead dog that they'd found from the sheriff's office um, a lot of people thought it was a dummy but it wasn't um, and there's a character in it who is called Doug he's one of the like husbands and boyfriends his name is Martin Spear but he was a spit image I thought of Howard from the Big Bang Theory so the whole time I was watching that I was like I can't really get that guy out of my head um, it it was a bit more uneasy like I felt a bit more kind of traditionally scared and like oh there was jumps coming out and stuff um, and then it co- I suppose what everybody knows it for is the poster and it's um, it shows Michael Berryman who plays Pluto um, I don't know the character's called Mars and Pluto and v- I think there's a Venus in there I don't know planets probably some deep Wes Craven trying to be really deep again but uh, Michael Berryman unfortunately has hypohydrotic echodermal dysplasia which means he's no sweat glands hair or teeth or fingernails um, so kind of he was kind of became a cult figure because of this and then we have the famous scene in it where you can see a torn Jaws poster at one scene in the trailer and then in The Evil Dead the first film he has a torn The Hills of Eyes poster because it was his kind of oh yeah imagine also kind of like two fingers to Wes Craven to be like oh my film is more extreme than your film and which I kind of was like it was interesting that Wes Craven thought that Jaws but I suppose in 1975 when Jaws came out you kind of would be pretty freaked out by it what did you make of it? Yeah, interesting. Like, again, fun to kind of think about what else. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was 74. I kind of felt a bit, um, kind of a little bit thinking about it. And then watching it um, was reminded, we watched it a couple of months ago, Mad Max, the desert kind of people. And there's a feral little girl in it and just a bit weird. But um, I didn't find it as sort of, yeah, it was more traditional. And by that extent, it doesn't say as much to me as... Yeah, that's house on the left. So he cites kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He loved that, and he kind of saw it as like a homage or a bit of an influence to it. Dee Wallace plays Lynn Wood. She's kind of the only recognizable face. She's ET, the mom in ET. Ah, she, okay. She's in tons of stuff, kind of, but that was kind of the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, the bit, there was a few better set pieces as well, like you know the the bit in the clip with the exploding caravan, and um, when the car you know turns into because that was we didn't get to mention that with the last house on the left, like the, where Scraven does love a kind of slightly ridiculous setup like it turns into Home Alone for, for about five minutes and in this there's a brilliant thing where a car is you know cranked into this cable and a, a guy is you know trapped by the feet and then the car doesn't move but does reels him up for yeah I was kind of watching that I was like I'm pretty sure that couldn't happen yeah Could it? where did like, the tires go I didn't really understand how yeah what happened were the tires removed but it wasn't even that they got the man. It's like they managed to get the rubber yeah. off the wheel thing, and then you know? put this big long cable. So I don't know where it came from, but I thought that was cool. Yeah, um, but I didn't. I it's a two out of five. Like I'm not. Yeah, kind of similar. Me. Again, it is the same themes as the last house on the left, whereby you have this group who terrorizes the family, but they then in turn become incredibly violent. Like when the baby is threatened this Doug character goes away and the last scene again it ends so bluntly <laughs> the last scene is he's stabbing your man to death and it just ends and then it goes to end apparently he had a thing where it was like he would re um, embrace him with the family but he was like nah that's too soft I think he did really want to hit home that message again that if you're subjected to this violence or you know it will make you a violent person but I'm you know you can buy into that in some regards but like if you're under attack like what did he expect the family to do sit there and be like 
sound just cool. absorb it we'll offer you some money and you know yeah. we'll become part of your group now yeah I did enjoy the cannibal side of stuff and there was all this writing about well Wes Craven came out and said that some Scottish cannibal named Sawney Bean this is on a BBC article from when the remake came out I read this on IMDb too it sounds a bit and yes yeah, so there was some Scottish cannibal legend in the kind of 1600s where English people got this story and wrote about Scottish cannibals and everything and um yeah, I thought it was very interesting. He said that that's where he got the whole inspiration from. Like we said, it took him five years to actually get this one made. So um, he must have... They do seem so a million miles away, though, when you look at Wes Craven's later films, like Scream and even A Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of more... Like, A Nightmare on Elm Street is brilliant, and I, I saw that, like, only a but couple of years But would you want ago. to watch the first one again? Do you think it holds up? Have you watched it again? The first one, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It is very cool, and it's very... It is very sinister, because you have to forget... <clears throat> Or, like, you have to remember that, like, Freddy Krueger's a paedophile. And that's why the parents kill him. And, like, he's turned into this, eh, which kind of Wes Craven parties later on in a later film. Um, so that is really good. I wouldn't watch either of these films again, you know. No, but it's very important to have watched them, to call yourself a, a knowledgeable... Um, horror fan. Horror fan. Seriously, though, yeah. you have to get that. That's kind of the way... And I suppose like, he was... Such, so weird. Like, you know, so many of these films in the 70s that you kind of have to watch and then you know everyone complains that most horror films in the 2000s are a lot of them are crap and predictable and everything and it's so rare to get a good horror film that works within the confines of the genre and stuff yeah um so i don't know what do horror films actually fans actually do they want what do they want but it's weird that or then people go out through too extreme and then it was just like i can't remember when i saw more like because i was saying earlier with the last house left that's so extreme and uh, insanely violent and really uncomfortable to watch yeah anyway Um, yeah but that's it um so that that was more or less it we'll have our right well we have our write-ups up by the time you hear this right so we'll write up our write-ups yeah, because that's what we kind of do. So we'll have like links and trailers and further reading of stuff if yeah. you want to delve into. So we're done with horror. We're done with Halloween. Do you want to tell? Uh, well, I suppose before we do that, yeah, you yeah. want to. We've got our little book here. Yeah. So the IFI have their annual horrorthon, and it's going to be taking place from the twenty second to the twenty sixth of October. So they've got one called the Green Inferno by Eli Roth, which is his basically homage, I think, to Cannibal Holocaust. Um. Yeah. So, and then we also have Tales of Halloween, which is various directors. So it looks like it's going to kind of be uh, ABC's of Death type of thing. But um, yeah, IFI always puts on a good program with midnight screenings and stuff like that. Uh, I haven't really had a look on TV if there's any big ones or even if there's any big ones coming out in the cinema. I don't think Bond is going to be the big coming out on the bank holiday. We'll talk about that in two weeks time um, and everything. But yeah, do you want to then discuss our more exciting, which we're very, we're obviously very excited about the release of Star Wars in two months. So as part of this, what we're going to do is go back and watch the prequels so you don't have to. Yeah. Um, And then we'll also watch episodes four, five and six again. Just um, we don't really have any rules with Watch What's Will, but usually it's that that stuff we haven't seen or that we want to reassess. So with this, we're kind of going to go back and watch it's um, kind of set up perfectly for it because we'll watch the first three um, in time. Have we discuss the order? I think you have to kind of go one. I suppose now that it's been released, you kind yeah. of have to go one, two, three. Apparently the the correct order that I remember reading years ago on the message board would be to go and watch f- uh, four, one, two, five, three, six. 
Okay. Any That's, logic or no? No, just someone did a Ungood. lot of thinking about it. Probably, right. probably George himself. Um, to get the best scale and sense of the story to go that way. But we're going one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. In the way that George Lucas really, obviously envisaged. I'm kind of curious because I don't think I've watched the first three since. Well, I obviously Seen went them to see them in cinema and probably watched them when they come out in DVD. Yeah. So when was that even? To, uh, Phantom Menace '99. Or no, yeah, 98. So probably a good 10 Attack years. Attack of the Clones yeah. was, I think, 2002. And then my first issue of Empire magazine I bought was the Attack of the Clones special edition. So maybe to that entrant in third It took me ages to remember what the second one was because it was like the Phantom yeah. Menace and then the Sith one was the third one. Or Yeah. And I was like, what's the second I, one? I have a soft spot for these films, though. So I'm actually curious about it. I'd also... I'm going to try and find... People always have this talk that the Phantom Menace has been re-edited into a really brilliant 45 minutes. Um, so I'm going to dig in and see if these versions exist anywhere. You imagine they don't. Like, Lucasfilm yeah. was probably pretty vigilant about just saying, no, no. The- but you can't get Howard the Duck now, so maybe it's <laughs> things relax. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Reyes in the first one. I think that is very exciting. Yeah. And it will look and brilliant in like, HD, fantastic TVs and, and the, stuff. Um, and the double-ended oh, yeah. Darth Maul's thing. With uh, Taken Guy, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Taken Guy, Jesus. I think, I, uh, I think it's on that note, I think it's about time we better wrap this baby up. Uh, what will we finish with? We're going to do some uh, horror Halloween stuff to get uh, into the movie. Yeah, we're just going to... We didn't talk about him, but Wes Craven is one of the kind of granddaddies of... Uh, of horror but uh, another one is John Carpenter and John Carpenter is still an active musician and uh, he's the musical guest for uh, ATP Iceland okay he's playing his new album his new album is fantastic it's yeah. brilliant so that's what we're gonna just take a track from why not here's a bit of John Carpenter and uh, we'll see you in two three weeks bye bye bye